e alguém pode querer me assassinar. Hello and welcome to Explaining Brazil, a podcast brought to you by the Brazilian Report in partnership with HuffPost Brazil. My name is Gustavo Ribeiro, editor-in-chief of the Brazilian Report. In this space, we will talk about Brazilian politics, economics, and social issues. As usual, I'm joined by Kiara Long, a staff writer at the Brazilian Report. Hello, Kiara. Hi, Gustavo. Great to be here. Uh, great having you. And today we're talking about the 2018 presidential election. We have yet a new candidate, uh, Flavio Rocha, a retail mogul, one of the wealthiest men in Brazil, has announced his intentions to run for president. And today he confirmed he will be uh, the candidate for the Republican Party. Um, just a bit of context here. The, Repu the Republican Party has, uh, was originally named the Liberal Party and was at the center of a major bribery scandal within Congress uh, in 2005. Um, the Lula administration was accused of bribing congressmen in order to get a congressional majority, and the Republican Party was one of the stars of this scandal. Russia is deliberately portraying himself as the reasonable conservative, a centre-right candidate who is trustworthy. Oh, I'm sorry, I'll, I'll just burden in, um, because we said we were talking about Russia is deliberately portraying himself as the reasonable conservative, a centre-right candidate who you can trust. His efforts so far appear to have gone into framing himself as not radical, rather than really speaking a lot about what he stands for. But he has had one really key endorsement so far, the Free Brazil movement, known as the MBL. They are a key protest movement who advocate for market reforms and were really fundamental to Dilma Rousseff's 2016 impeachment. Gustavo, do you think that's a good company for him to be keeping? Well, it's certainly uh, an endorsement that will give him a lot of votes because Mbele started as a movement against Dilma Rousseff uh, back in 2015, and then it has evolved into a major political player. Um, but like you said, he doesn't want to seem a radical. He wants to be the the right the the, the soft right wing guy as opposed to Jair Bolsonaro, the, the the far left the far right candidate. But MBL is far from being a moderate organization. They have been accused time and time again of uh, sharing falsehoods, false news. Last week we were talking about uh, Rio, Rio City Councilor Marielle Franco, who was murdered and then had her reputation tarnished by fake information that MBL actively was sharing online. So uh, while MBL might give Rocha a lot of votes, I'm not sure to what extent it will help him portray himself as a moderate. Uh, for me, it's far from a moderate uh, organization. It's interesting to it's interesting to hear you say that a lot of the time I've heard people say kind of the MBL is miscategorized as angry but harmless youth, and actually they can do quite a lot of damage when they put their mind to it. Yes, and uh, because they have a lot of reach. And uh, they have a lot of political influence. You have so many congressmen, so many politicians pandering to Mbele. You, you, you could argue that they were harmless 
three years ago. Uh, you can't do it now. <laughs> I'm not really sure you could even argue that three years ago, to be honest. Um, looking at the fact that I think it was in September or October 2015, Kim Category managed to mobilize some 200,000 people in Sao Paulo to go to a pro-impeachment rally. Yeah. That doesn't sound harmless to me. <laughs> yeah, you're right. And uh, now that will go uh, to serve Flavio Rocha. And like you said, um, what Flavio Rocha and ML try to defend, it's more or less uh, a Brazilian answer to the republic to the uh, US Republican Party social conservative conservatism and economic uh, libertarianism they want uh, a small state fewer taxes uh, fewer regulations more market freedom but they are against uh, uh, liber uh, social libertarianism. They they are more conservative. They are against um, abortion, uh, the, the legalization of abortions in Brazil. Because in Brazil, uh, there's only uh, three situations that women are allowed to abort, which is rape, uh, when the fetus has no brain, or when the pregnancy is threatening the mother's life. And uh, if I, I mean. There's a few similarities here to, to what happens in U.S. elections with candidates clinging onto really controversial issues to try and gather votes. Yes, yeah, but uh, in Brazil, I don't think that it's so controversial. Uh, the majority of Brazilian population is not pro-abortion laws. Uh, whether we like it or not, it's um, more mainstream here than, say, in Europe, for instance. You're right. Maybe controversial is the wrong word and emotive is a better word to describe that because I think these are the sorts of issues that people feel very strongly about. Yes. But one thing that I find interesting about Flavio Rocha is that he's not putting a strong uh, accent in towards the social part of his, um, of his campaign. I mean, he's doing... All the roadshows in church, evangelical churches, he's an evangelical. He wants to get support from religious folks. But he's uh, talking a lot about the economy. And uh, since Brazil has uh, just emerged from one of its worst recessions ever, and the economy is still uh, not in a, in a very good shape, I think it can strike a chord on people's minds yeah he's definitely uh he's definitely he's definitely adopting tactics that might sound familiar to some of our listeners um he's putting himself forward as this kind of pro-business candidate who knows how to turn a profit even if the economy is not doing so great which you know might maybe sound familiar to listeners i don't know in the u.s um, but maybe also to those in Sao Paulo, because that's very much the banner that João Doria ran under when he was running for city mayor in 2016. Yes, exactly. And um, uh, How's that working out? <laughs> well, <laughs> uh, João Doria won't be mayor for long. He will resign next week, uh, because in Brazil you have to resign if you're a member of the executive branch. You have to resign six months prior to the election day uh, if you want to run from another office so uh, 
uh, one year in. Uh, I like to joke that nobody wants to be the mayor of Sao Paulo. It's such a chaotic city with so many problems. People want to win the mayoral, mayoral race in Sao Paulo because that's a stepping stone to other uh, higher achievements. Now Doria will resign. He will uh, uh, run for governor. And uh, his party, PSDB, has a tight grip in Sao Paulo. They have been around uh, for 20 years. They they have ruled the state. So chances are he will win this race. And then before finishing his term, he will resign to try the presidency. That's pretty much what PSDB uh, officers do when, when they win elections in Sao Paulo. I mean... From your perspective, do you how do you how do you think he'll do? Do you think there are any similarities between Horsha and Doria? Yes, I do. I think they're both uh, uh, pro business pro business candidates. They they want uh, to shrink the state. Uh, what is also funny is that on both cases, they are against. Uh, what they 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 call a, a gigantic state helping out every single people, every single person. I'm sorry. Uh, at the same time, their companies have gotten money from uh, state-owned banks. Uh, in Hosh's case, it was, uh, if I'm not mistaken, almost two billion reais since 2009. So. Uh, once again, the the, the pro business and uh, pro small state guy, it, 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 he's in a comfortable position because he's getting uh, loans with uh, a very friendly rates, sub- subsidized by the government. <laughs> yeah, I mean, that's something certainly that I have personally heard hitting the right notes with people I've spoken to. A lot of people that I've spoken to in recent weeks have been very much in favor and advocating for this whole small state thing. But I think a lot of the time people don't necessarily think about what that means or which candidates are genuinely representative of that, like you said, with Horsha and the loans that that he's had from Brazil's state bank. I mean... And it's funny because in Brazil, something that is trying to be... It's starting to become mainstream is that, well... Uh, in the private sector, we don't have corruption like we do in the public sector. Uh, more or less, I mean, you have Operação Zelotes, which is uh, an operation, uh, an investigation into bribery scams, uh, schemes into the Ministry of Finance. And you have, like, a lot of big conglomerates that are present themselves as a model for efficiency who have spent millions and millions uh, bribing, bribing uh, fiscal auditors to escape from harsh uh, penalties. So, uh, so what you're really saying is that maybe the private sector just does it a little bit better than the public sector. Not even that. I think it's uh, corruption has become something so generalized in Brazil that this is a an easy way out to say, well, the solution for that reducing the state, and uh, once the state is out of the equation. Things will work better, which is uh, – it's much more complicated than that. You, you cannot explain corruption with one variable, and that's what a lot of uh, candidates are trying to do. And since people are 
fed up with institutions. We have less than 10% of Brazilians who trust the government, who trust Congress. 4% trust political parties, and they have reason to. Uh, but when people are so fed up la as they are now in Brazil, it's easy to sell this kind of snake oil and have people buying it. <laughs> That's quite a damning statement. Um, I actually want to talk a little bit briefly about how Jorge compares to Bolsonaro, because he's been quite adamant that he is this kind of moderate right candidate as opposed to Bolsonaro's hard right. I think he's called himself or somebody has called him certainly the Bolsonaro light. Um, do you which, think which doesn't mean a lot. I mean, <laughs> excuse me. <laughs> no, but let, let's be honest here. Being, uh, you, you cannot win praise by being more moderate than Bolsonaro, but it, it's true. He is. And uh, I think Hush's name into the equation could spell trouble for Bolsonaro because while Bolsonaro is pulling at almost 20%, not all people, and uh, I think that if the Brazilian left wants to be relevant in this upcoming race, they cannot make the same mistakes that the American left did uh, in 2016, which is to paint every single Bolsonaro uh, voter with the same brush. Uh, a lot of people that I've been talking to, they don't necessarily agree with everything that Bolsonaro stands for, but they don't see a true right-wing guy uh, in the landscape right now, and uh, Hosha could be that guy. That certainly resonates with, again, some of the people I've spoken to here who are very much in favor of a minimal state. Um, you know, a lot of people kind of looking at this, these potential candidates and Brazil's vast political spectrum and kind of going, oh, Bolsonaro is a strong leader. Who else is actually there? Um, which I don't know about you. I always feel, I feel like voting by default in that sense is, is maybe not the best way to get a really appropriate leader for the country. I don't know. You you have to sh choose someone, and uh... well, that's what I mean. But I think cho you're, if you're if you're making that decision by, well, I don't see anybody better, so I guess this guy, as opposed to like really evaluating what the candidates are, what their policies are, etc. But I'm aware that I'm quite idealistic like that. <laughs> so yes, uh, that would be ideal, but uh, let's not dream about that. I don't think that's going to happen this this year. But uh, you were talking about Hosha and how he compares to Bolsonaro, and another thing that both of them sell themselves as is outsiders. And like I said, people don't trust institutions, so once they hear the, the word outsider, uh, it's already popular, right? Yeah, I've seen a lot of that too. Um, another thing that I think is an interesting point of comparison between the two is that Bolsonaro has actually got the support of Silas Malafaia, who is Brazil's really very famous televangelist preacher who has helped elect hundreds of politicians by offering his support and endorsements in the past, um, which is interesting because Bolsonaro is a Catholic and Malafaia is an evangelical, and now Hoasha is an evangelical candidate. So there's a... I'm seeing a few kind of fractures in the whole all evangelicals vote for one or back one candidate sort of argument that often you see here.
yes, there, there are a lot of evangelical branches in Brazil, and uh, while Malafaia is the most prominent uh, reverend in the country, uh, Rocha is endorsed by Sara Nossa Terra, uh, which is a Brasilia-based uh, church, and a church that has been growing a lot in recent decades. So mm -hmm. that could be a, a, a endorsement, a fruitful endorsement. Um, but yeah, uh, the, the thing is, uh, for me, it doesn't shock that uh, the evangelicals are supporting Bolsonaro because the evangelical front and the Catholic front uh, in Congress they pretty much stand for the same things. They are anti-same-sex uh, marriage, anti-abortion laws. Uh, they, they have more of a, uh, an agenda against something rather than proposing something. So it's easier for, for those folks to, to unite themselves in the political scene. Yeah, no, I would entirely agree with that. Um, I think another... Another way that that Hoshi maybe isn't as much of an outsider as he'd like to paint himself as, you know, having these these connections with a lot of other politicians and influential figures. Um, I think it's also worth pointing out that you know he has run successfully for political positions before, and you know even today he had lunch with the rural lobby, so he is an insider in the circles that could gain him significant support inside the inside the walls of Brazil's political houses, as well as being seen as this outsider, which is a very strange position, really. No, and uh, let's not forget, he has run for the presidency once in 1994. Uh, unsuccessfully, his, his candidacy was uh, nullified uh, due to an illegal financing affair. But yes, uh, you, you, it, it's hard to portray yourself as an outsider when you have... Uh, run and successfully run for office, but since he has been so, for what twenty four years outside of public office, uh, it's it's easier for him to portray himself like portray himself like that, uh, which is less striking than Bolsonaro, who has been uh, in Congress for thirty years and still manages to come across as an outsider. <laughs> That's really quite an achievement. I'm not sure how he's managed that. <laughs> yes. And uh, we don't have uh, Hosh's numbers yet on pools. He he was not included in any other pools. But uh, do you think that uh, with Embelis behind him and with uh, evangelical parts of the evangelical vote, going towards him, he could challenge Bolsonaro to a spot in the runoff stage. H how do you think uh, Rocha would disturb the political atmosphere right now? Well, I think you're absolutely right to say that he could certainly steal some of Bolsonaro's thunder. There's a lot of people looking for a, a center-right or more right-wing candidate who is reasonable rather than inflammatory. Um I think that if he was to put forward some more kind of populist policies and say, I want you to do this and this and this in a really concrete way, he could definitely have a chance of stealing quite a lot of 
potential Bolsonaro voters, whether or not that'll mean that he gets to run off stages or have success against whoever else appears on the scene in the next few months. That's a really difficult thing to predict right now. I remember last year when uh, France had their presidential elections, a lot of pundits, including the international press, were saying, well, Brazil needs its own version of Emmanuel Macron. Uh, Left-leaning social policies and economic reformism. And uh, we're certainly not going to get that this race. <laughs> uh, Rocha right now, he says he wants to be Brazil's Ronald Reagan and Margaret Thatcher. Uh, so you're British, and uh, I want to ask you, what's uh, the legacy of the Thatcherism in the UK? And uh, should we be excited for having a Brazilian Margaret Thatcher? <laughs> I mean, so I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to start my answer here by saying that when Margaret Thatcher died, uh, there were people posting videos and tweets, etc., etc., of... Uh, the witch is gone, the witch is dead, um, in reference to the Wizard of Oz, because she was a very, very unpopular figure in the end in the UK. She was, you know, again, a very big free market advocate, very big on privatizations and a small state. She cut a bunch of uh, social spending benefits. Um, she closed a lot of the mines, which, you know, I think there's enough to say that a lot of the areas in the UK that had these mines that was really central to the local economy and they haven't really yet had any re sort of replacement for that. Um, so I would say her legacy isn't, isn't hugely popular in the UK. She's not, I, I know remember, very few I people who, once who would going, say, I really admire Margaret Thatcher. Let's put it that way. <laughs> I remember once going to Dublin and I saw a toddler with a, with a small t-shirt saying, my dad still hates Thatcher. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I'm not surprised by that. I really have to be honest. And speaking about free market and Thatcherism, uh, one of the main propositions uh, that Hoshe used to defend when he was in Congress back in the early 90s, and we'll see if he will still defend that, is a, a single tax for Brazilians, which uh, has been uh, a lot of uh, research has pointed to the fact that that will actually increase uh, inequality levels in Brazil because uh, when you put one single tax for all, uh, the tax burden proportionally will be much harsher on the poor. That sounds like a really, really bad policy to me. Um, not that I'm an expert, but like you said, I think that will increase inequality and that I think could even end up shooting that could end up with the government shooting itself in the foot because it won't get the taxes from its elite and high earning population. So he's doing a good job in trying to mimic Thatcher, you think? <laughs> I don't even really know how to evaluate that yet. I want to look at more policies before I answer that. I will just say that if he was doing a good job in emulating Thatcher, that would not be a compliment. <laughs> okay. Well, unfortunately, we are out of time. Uh, thank you, Kiara, for this uh, discussion. And uh, thanks to all of our listeners this week. We're glad you joined us. If you like what you heard, please take a few minutes to check out our reporting at the Brazilian Report. 
You can find new pieces on Brazilian politics, economics, and society every day on our website. That's Brazilian.report. We'd love to hear your thoughts about this podcast, so please do get in touch and let us know what you think or your suggestions for what else you'd like to hear from us. You can reach us via the Brazilian Report's website or on Twitter. Our handle is at Brazilian underscore rep. This podcast was written by Kiara Long and produced by me, Gustavo Ribeiro, for the Brazilian Report. That's all for now. We'll see you next week. Thank you very much and happy Easter. <laughs> 